Hi, everyone, and welcome to College Football Landscape, the college football podcast that's part of the Total Sports 24-7 Network. This is Chris Hayes, the host and producer for this podcast and all podcasts across the Total Sports 24-7 Network. You can find all of our archived episodes across all of our podcasts on our website, totalsports247.podbean.com. That's P-O-D. B-E-A-N. They are my podcast provider. They're my platform that I use for recording and distribution. They are a great partner. You can also follow us on X at totalsports underscore 247. There we are very active in making our own recommendations, uh, pointing to our own content. But we'll also point you to other betting experts and show you what it is they're thinking about the various sporting events and the various games going on, not just within this country, but we've seen some international recommendations, especially in soccer and in tennis. So uh, feel free to follow me there, Total Sports underscore 247, to get recommendations from a whole host of different sports. And finally, we have a Substack. It's called weekinweekout.substack.com. We may be changing up the format of that newsletter a little bit, and it may be getting a name change as well. A little bit of a facelift going on with the newsletter. We're going to focus mostly on preview seasons for that newsletter. So stay tuned in the next few weeks. As I've mentioned and I've pitched before, we do have a golf preview coming up. We'll likely preview some other sports as well. NASCAR, I think, will be on the docket in a couple weeks some tennis potentially as well, and then baseball, of course, in the winter. So weekinweekout.substack.com. For now, again, that that uh, domain and that newsletter name could be changing in the coming weeks. And a quick update on this podcast before we get into our episode today, which will cover the semifinals that are taking place in a few hours. This Podcast, of course, will go to the back burner on the network as other podcasts come to light, right? We've got uh, the tennis season starting in a couple weeks. We've got golf starting on the 4th. We've got NASCAR coming in February with Daytona. Lots of content to cover that is active in the sporting season, whereas college football, of course, after next week will lie dormant until August. This podcast will not lie dormant until then, however. I'm thinking we will run monthly or so episodes, maybe about every six weeks. We'll give it a little bit of a break. One topic I really want to cover for everybody because I think it's the most confusing topic in the sport right now is player movement via the portal. So One of the goals for this show come the spring, I think it'll probably be April, is we'll do a series based on uh, portal movement by team, but also by conference. And we'll start with the group of five and move through the other four major conferences. So there will be five episodes prior to, say, preview season in the summer for this podcast. But after next week, it will be taking a little bit of a break, probably about three months or so before we launch that series in April. We want to make sure it syncs up appropriately with the college football calendar. 
maybe around the time when spring ball starts would be a good time to launch that series. We don't want to have an episode and then a week later have a ton of player movement, right? So we want to make sure it syncs up appropriately. Well, we will do that. And when we launch, we will let everyone know, mostly via X, our main communication channel, Total Sports underscore 247. Okay, so on today's episode, this will be a fairly quick episode covering both the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. These are the national championship semifinals this year, winners of each to face off next Monday night in the national championship. These four teams chosen were not without controversy, of course, but let's get into the first game. This is a five o'clock tip with Michigan, the number one seed, and Alabama, the four seed. They're the controversial team. Michigan, I guess, is too, given all of the the you know the sign stealing, Connor Stallions, the cheating, all that sort of uh, all that sort of stuff. We're not going to get into that here, but these two teams are. <laughs> if you're not a fan of these teams, you probably don't like either one of these teams all that much. But you're super interested in this game. It's the I would guess the more intriguing of the two from a national perspective. For the Rose Bowl. In Pasadena today, we've got Michigan. They are favored as the number one seed, minus two. And the total is creeping up, 45 and a half right now on DraftKings. So what are the keys to this game and how will this game shake out? If you look at the roster composition top to bottom, it's hard to deny that Alabama isn't better. They have more talent at more skill positions and they have more depth. But that doesn't necessarily mean, of course, that they're going to win the game or that this matchup is favorable to them. But let's talk about what Alabama needs to do in order to win this game, and then we'll go to the Michigan side. So again, Alabama, two-point dog. What are they going to want to do with Jalen Milrow? I think it's pretty obvious they're going to want to get him in space. They're going to want to use his legs. That is where he has been most successful. That is when Alabama has been clicking on offense in the later half of the year. And that is his biggest asset. That is what he brings to the table that McCarthy, while he is mobile for Michigan, is not as athletic or as explosive specifically as Milrow is. They're going to want to design, I think, a simple game plan for Milrow as well. I imagine them wanting to run the ball fairly consistency, not consistently, not just with him, but also with uh, their their running backs, who I believe are both playing today, Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams. We've liked Roydell Williams a lot this season. We think he is, I don't know, just as good as... Uh, Jace McClellan, even though he doesn't get as many touches, but uh, we we like all three of them to get looks designed for them in the running game today. McClellan ended the year with 800 yards and six touchdowns. Roydo Williams had 560 and five, and Milrow almost irrelevant 468 and uh, on the ground his his numbers because the touchdowns is what's huge for Milrow 12 touchdowns on the year rushing the team had 30 as a total they're also Bama is going to design at least a few plays to take some shots 
down the field. They've got deep threats with uh, Isaiah Bond for one, but the 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 one who I think is probably more dangerous is Jermaine Burton. He had 777 yards this year on just 35 catches with eight touchdowns. Look for Milrow to try and look for him in the deep passing game. Bama had 23 touchdowns through the air this year. So a fairly balanced offense. Uh, but And it's due in large part to the ability of Milrow to run. Milrow is going to have to emphasize ball security in this one and make sure that he either, when he feels pressure, which he will, get out of that pocket and use his legs or get rid of the ball without you know, intentional grounding or anything like that. Because sacks have been an issue. Now, the offensive line for Alabama has played much, much better as the season has gone on. It was a unit that was maybe the weakest unit of all, both offensive and defensive and special teams units for the team at the beginning of the year, outside of maybe quarterback, as they were figuring that out. But it has gotten significantly better as the season has gone on. So I don't know that the sacks is as much of an issue as it was to start the season. Either way, Milrow, we don't want to regress, right? We don't want Milrow to hang in the pocket too long and then start to feel the pressure and make mistakes. So 38 sacks on the year, that's something that we'll watch for if Michigan can bring some pressure on Milrow. And then when they do, what does Milrow do about it? Again, I think Burton is the deep threat. Bond is a little bit more of the safety valve. Can they get anyone else on this team involved in the passing game? I think that's probably unclear. Kobe Prentice would be my choice for that third option if Burton and Bond are covered up by this Michigan defense. We will see on that one. As we go to the other side of the ball, we know that Michigan is going to want to run the ball as well. The question is, can they do so at the frequency and the success with which they've been able to do it against pretty much everybody else the entire year? Blake Corum, of course, leads their backfield. He had another 1,000-yard campaign. It wasn't the Heisman type of campaign that we were anticipating coming into the season based off of last year's wildly successful season. But he had more touchdowns, which is something that you probably wouldn't think of right away because he just wasn't as talked about this year. Michigan really wasn't as talked about this year for much of their on-field performance. A lot of their off-the-field stuff distracted from what Michigan did throughout the year. So again, another 1,000-yard rushing season for Corm. He had 24 rushing touchdowns and the team themselves had 35 donovan edwards had a down year only 382 yards off the ground he was really a great robin to blake Corm's batman last year compiling i think it was over 900 yards that he was able to get last year not used as much i think he was banged up for part of this year as well i don't think he will uh, be an insignificant part of this game, however. I, I think they will try to use him as a change of pace to Corum. I think Michigan, they are a little tricky in how they design their offensive sets with motion, player personnel, those sorts of things. So don't be surprised if it's not just what basically this. I don't think they'll have the the type of game plan that you saw against Penn State 
earlier in the season where they were just run, 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 where they basically said, this is what we're going to do. See if you can stop it. And Penn State was, (laughs) they had uh, different degrees of success in that game, but ultimately Michigan prevailed with their run it down your throat style of game. I think the big question here for Michigan really isn't this running game. Though I think Corum will find his yards. I think it will be tougher sledding versus this Alabama defense than other defenses that they face throughout the year. This this I think is the best defense despite what Buckeye fans may say. I think this defense is better. I think J.J. McCarthy's health is a big question mark in this one. He was nicked and bruised kind of all season long. First, it, it felt like there was a leg injury going on. Then maybe it was an ankle injury. We heard various rumors of you know shoulder problems and those sorts of things. I think this time off between their last game, the championship uh, of the Big Ten against Iowa, which was a little bit of a sleeper, and this one... I think will uh, boost McCarthy and serve him well. He had a really good season. 2,630 yards when they don't really ask him to do too much. Uh, 74.2% completion, 19 touchdowns, just four interceptions. And he has an ability to run as well. He only got 146 yards on the ground, but that belies his athleticism. I think he is an underrated athlete and um, can get out of the pocket and is a strong kid. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are some plays designed for him to run a little bit as well if he is healthy. Now, the big matchup issue for Michigan is their receiving core against this Alabama defense. What will Alabama do on defense to attempt to stop Michigan's offensive, uh, 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 both offense and uh, their uh, their run game and their pass game? Sorry, I don't know if Michigan's receivers are elite. I do think that Alabama's secondary might be. So. This is going to be maybe the most intriguing matchup in the game. We've got, for Alabama, Terrion Arnold on one side, right? We've got Kool-Aid McKinstry back there. Arnold had five picks and 11 passes defended this year. McKinstry, uh, maybe first-round draft pick, potentially, in this year's uh, upcoming draft as a junior if he decides to go. And they've got... All-world freshman Caleb Downs running around there in the backfield making plays both in the run and pass game. So, can Michigan be successful running the ball if Alabama just plays one-on-one on the outside? And will they be successful in the pass game with that defense as well? I don't know. I think that... When you look at their receivers, right? Like Roman Wilson is good, right? Cornelius Johnson is good. But are they difference makers at the position? I don't know. I think that there is potential that they could be covered in one-on-one situations throughout the game. 
and that Alabama will stand up to it and limit Michigan's productivity on offense. Michigan might have to scheme more for A.J. Barner and for Colston Loveland, their tight ends, who I don't know that they're difference makers either. But I think that that's the unique part of their offense that can cause Alabama some problems, maybe in the middle of the field. I think it may be hard for McCarthy to go sideline to sideline, but I think the middle of the field might be where Michigan can find some space against Alabama's linebackers. So we'll see if that's the type of offense that Michigan Harbaugh and company want to run in this game. Something not to be overlooked on the Michigan side is lineman Zach Zinter, right guard, being out of this game. It is uh, an overlooked part of when you analyze games, you're often looking at skill players and matchups and those sorts of things, right? And this is a this is a tough loss for Michigan to have Zinter out of this game. It could mean uh, challenges in pass protection. It also could mean some difficulty opening up holes in the run game. So we will see how the right side of the line fares against Alabama in this one. So again, it's Michigan minus two with the total at 45 and a half. The play we're going to go with here is Alabama on the money line. And right now they are plus 110 over at DraftKings. We think top to bottom they are a more talented team, even though Michigan might be the second most talented team in the country. We think that Bama has more versatility on offense than Michigan does. And we think this is the best defense that Michigan has Faced, and we could see challenges on the offensive side of the ball for Michigan in this one. So we're going to go with Alabama money line plus 110 as our first play. Our second game here is the Sugar Bowl. This is 845 on ESPN in Pitts, Texas against Washington. Washington, they're, they're interesting. Washington, it feels like no one thinks they're ever going to win, and then all they do is win, right? They, uh, I mean, undefeated Pac-12 season in arguably the best conference in the country this year, beating Oregon twice. The second second time, you may remember, I was on that Oregon train along with a lot of, like, national media. Um, They were favored, I think it was, I think it ended up closing at maybe even 10, it was definitely at least nine, nine and a half. And uh, Washington came away with their second victory against the Ducks on the year when they uh, won the Pac-12 championship 34 to 31. Kalen DeBoer has done such an outstanding job. It's like hard to understate how successful he's been in such a short amount of time at Washington. It's really it he he's such a brilliant football mind and he's such a good motivator and leader for that team. It's it's hard to believe 
that Washington isn't, you know, they're they're not one of these teams that's like always successful year in, year out. They have made the playoff before, but they've also suffered some uh, down years. You know, it's not like they're in the playoff conversation every single year. They're not. And uh, they might be now, now that they found DeBoer to lead that Team. I think he's the perfect leader to go into the Big Ten next year for Washington. I think Washington's mm, identity fits more with the Big Ten than any other team that's going there, meaning Oregon going with them, UCLA going with them, USC going with them. I think Washington, culture-wise, identity-wise, fit-wise, is the best. This team had Jimmy Lake. 2020 to 2021 like that is really really hard to believe Jimmy Lake this is this is what Kalen DeBoer did to resurrect this Washington program again if you're not uh, keyed into the sport you know a year over year you may forget this because you think oh Washington yeah they're always in it they've made the playoff before they made it again no the 2021 season do you remember this he shoved somebody in the Oregon game, and it was caught on national television, and he was fired. It, it it was it was a crazy tenure for Jimmy Lake. It was such a short one, but it was filled with such drama. And uh, Washington had to recover from that. And who knew that Kalen DeBoer would be the one to do that? I don't know that anybody did. Coming over from Fresno State, people were probably like, "All right, well, this is going to take a little bit of time." Or maybe it was people thought it was a bridge coach to get to some, uh, you know, a bigger name. It's not true. He's the one. I mean, 11-2 and two record his first season, beating Texas in the Alamo Bowl last year, and now undefeated this year. So let's get to what Washington is going to do in this game, what their game plan is, right? Of course, they've got Heisman finalist Michael Penix at the helm. He had such a ridiculous season, uh, coming off a ridiculous season <laughs> prior, they they you know they center around Penix and his abilities. A four thousand yard campaign, uh, just just crazy numbers, right? His back to back four thousand yard campaign, thirty three touchdowns, nine picks, so occasionally vulnerable with the turnovers. Um, he doesn't run. They focus. All their running efforts, really, with Dylan Johnson in that backfield, who had such uh, an important role to play in that Pac-12 championship game against Oregon. Uh, he compiled over 1,100 yards on the season, 14 rushing touchdowns on the ground. Of course, what Washington wants to do, though, is beat you through the air. Roma Dunze, 1,400 yards and 13 touchdowns, arguably the best receiver, top 10 pick in next year's draft. Uh, Jalen Polk also had a 1,000-yard campaign. He had eight touchdowns, and they get Jalen McMillan back, who was hurt for good stretches during this year, and is more, he's like their receiver that they use as an alternate to the run game, or a complement, maybe more accurately, to Dylan Johnson and the run game. 34 catches for 468 yards on the season for McMillan, but again, he missed a good amount of time with injuries. Like last year, he had 79 catches for over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. That was the type of stat line we were expecting going into the season for McMillan. It just didn't pan out that way given his uh, absences throughout the season. 
But again, that's how they use him, right? Adunze averages 17.6 yards per catch. Polk averages 16.7, and McMillan is 13.8. So they'll use McMillan in that short to intermediate game, and they'll have Adunze and Polk running <laughs> free down the sidelines for longer uh, plays. They do have uh, a pretty good tight end, not a great tight end, but a pretty good one, I think, in Jack Westover. He uh, had 35 catches uh, and he had four touchdowns on the season. So maybe some red zone looks for Westover as, uh, you know, if Washington gets in the red zone where they're not hitting on explosive plays and is a little bit more deliberate in their drives, I could see them using Westover as an outlet on offense. This offensive line is the Joe Moore Award winner. They beat out the likes of LSU, I believe Georgia, and Oregon for that title. So they're clearly, (laughs) they can protect Penix. That's for sure. Penix was sacked 10 times this year. And they had injuries on that offensive line that they had to shuffle through in the season. And nobody missed a beat um, with this team. Fatuano is one of the best linemen in the country. And they uh, should have success protecting Penix again in this one and opening up holes for Dylan Johnson in the run game. But this Texas team is um, maybe the most talented defense they faced all season. And they're built kind of differently, right? If you look at Texas defensively, of course, they've got all-world Montrez Sweat in the middle of this defense who will likely be providing lots of pressure throughout the game when he is on the field. Sorry, Tavondre Sweat. I said Montrez. He's the NFL player. Tavondre Sweat uh, at defensive line. Again, all-world defensive linemen who will be just creating havoc likely all game long. Byron Murphy is going to have to create some pressure as well. Texas overall on the season is one of the better teams at pressuring opposing quarterbacks and so what does that mean for this matchup when they're going against one of the best offensive lines in the country you know texas did face some pretty good offenses they probably have one of the better ones in the big 12 maybe the best one you know going up against the likes of kansas state had a really good offensive line of course alabama had a good well they were they were a little bit shaky at the beginning of the season but rounded into form so i don't know that texas has played a caliber the likes of Washington in terms of their offensive line production. Well, I mean, Joe Moore award winner, of course. So that'll be a very interesting matchup. Will Texas be able to get pressure with their front seven? And will they be able to contain Dylan Johnson and see what they can do with these dynamic receivers in terms of how they match up against them. I think trying to force Washington to become one-dimensional is the game plan for Texas's defense, right? Like, get enough pressure on Penix and uh, that running game with base coverage and see if you can support the defensive backs and linebackers who are going to cover this three-receiver set. I think that's going to be the key to this one for Texas on defense. Uh, the secondary 
if you look at the levels of the defense with Texas, the secondary is probably weakest is hard to say because none of the three levels are really weak. But the one that I will say this, they're, they're going to need support in this game. So being able to get pressure, just bringing four, being able to contain Dylan Johnson uh, without having to, say, have that secondary pitch in and run support, I think is going to be is going to be crucial. On the offensive side of the thing, Texas, of, of the ball, Texas should have some success, I think. You know, as long as Xavier Worthy is healthy, there are, uh, you know, he was banged up towards the end of the season. And it seems like he's always kind of nicked, nicked and banged and bruised. You know, he does a punt return for them as well. So he he's always vulnerable to getting hurt, it feels like. But he and Mitchell, I think, have um, edges against this Washington secondary as well. And we know Sark is going to scheme up some looks for, uh, you know, these first 15 or so plays that are wrinkles in the offense. They're going to want to put Ewers in successful situations throughout the game and make the decision-making process and reads for Ewers very simple. Ewers... I think he's one of the more talented quarterbacks in the country. I don't know that his talent always is on full display on the field. I think he has been hit and miss and was hit and miss this year. His numbers indicate that he had a very good season. Over 3,000 yards passing, 70% completion, 21 touchdowns and six picks. Sacked 25 times, not in, in not like a crazy number, not like an outlandish number, but... Um, something to keep an eye on whether or not Washington will get to Ewers and what Ewers does under pressure, I think is the storyline. And then how effective are they going to be in the backfield, right? Texas is going to want to run the ball. How effective can they be without star running back Jonathan Brooks, with C.J. Baxter, the five-star freshman from uh, Orlando? How successful can they be with him as the lead dog? I think that's going to be another question. Also, what does Texas do when they get down to red zone and goal to go situations? How do they run the offense and how do they come away with seven versus three? Too often this year, they did not convert red zone opportunities into touchdowns and they're going to have to do that today against the Husky team that's going to score touchdowns. So, That's going to be another story here as well. Can Texas, when they get it down into scoring situations, what are they going to do to ensure that they come away with seven rather than three? So this game is Texas minus four, 62 and a half in New Orleans. Our play here is going to be the over 62 and a half. We think this game is going to go up and down a ton. And... We could easily see this game, eat both teams getting into the 30s. Let's say that. We think both teams get into the 30s, and we think this game is going over. Texas minus four is a little bit rich. I think Texas is better. I do think Texas is going to win. I can see circumstances where Washington will cover, though. I don't think there's value in, in Texas minus four, to be quite frank. Washington is plus 142 on the money line currently at DraftKings. If... I thought they were going to cover. I would probably just go with that money line play, but I don't know if they're going to cover. I think it could be a game where it's 38-31 Texas, 
right? Or 42-34 Texas. I think the the play I'm most confident in is the over, the 62.5. While Texas does have a strong defense, they have not played an offense the likes of Washington. And while Washington has a strong, uh, you know, they, they, they're, uh, I think the way that Washington wins this, maybe I'll put it that way, is to get in a shootout with Texas. And that's what I envision in this game. So our play for the pod is going to be Texas and Washington over 62 and a half. So quick recap. We like Alabama on the money line at plus 110 uh, for the Rose Bowl at five o'clock on ESPN. And we like the over in Texas, Washington, 62 and a half. That's at 845 kickoff on ESPN. So that'll do it for this episode of College Football Landscape. That was a little bit longer than I thought it was going to be. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. And stay tuned to the network for everything that we have going on. Again, a lot of uh, different sports are going to be debuting in the next couple months. And we'll have you covered for all previews and as those seasons start. This podcast, again, will be taking a little bit of a back seat for uh, the winter until... Uh, spring ball, most likely. We will have uh, coverage and recommendations for the national championship game as well when that take place on Monday. So stay tuned for that episode next week in your podcast feeds. Until then, this has been College Football Landscape, part of the Total Sports 24-7 Network. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.